Well, there were a couple of big-time upsets in the Old Dominion Athletic Conference Baseball Tournament, and you can probably thank the two local teams for making it happen. Welcome in. Today is Thursday, May 13th, and this is another edition of the Baseball in the Valley podcast by the Daily News Record. I'm Greg Medea, sports writer at the Daily News Record, joined alongside by David Driver, the sports editor at the DNR. David, how are you today? Good morning, Greg, and I want to wish you a happy Bobby Valentine birthday day. So I'll throw that out there right to get started. How about that? Well, he, he could be the next mayor of Stamford, Connecticut. Did you know he's running? He's, he's running for political office up there. That does not surprise me one bit, but I did not know that. <laughs> I always liked Bobby V as a manager. He was he he had that 1999-2000 Mets really playing well throughout my my childhood and when I really, really fell in love with the Mets. So a lot of credit to Bobby V for his job in New York. And then, of course, he's he's just so well-rounded, too, you know? You always hear the stories about how he could have played college football at Notre Dame. And right. I uh, could have mm-hmm. went, obviously, overseas to Japan and had success. So yeah, uh, good, good baseball, man. Good, good, you know, overall person, Bobby V. Yeah, yeah. So uh, locally, we've got a couple of teams, David, and this is where we'll start today in the Old Dominion Athletic Conference because two, two teams – are headed to the semifinals of the tournament after pulling upsets this past weekend. And this is why we're doing a big podcast today. Bridgewater swept Roanoke in the opening round of the tournament. Uh, The Eagles beat Roanoke 4-3 and 6-4 to advance to the semifinals. And then Eastern Mennonite, and this is the big one. This is the real make-you-think-twice upset about it. Knocked off national power Randolph-Macon College in the ODAC tournament by winning game by winning games two and three. So they were down one, nothing backs against the wall, nothing to lose and found a way to win beat, uh, beat Randolph making seven, four in game two and seven, four also in game three, they'll play in the semifinals, a double header Saturday at Shenandoah Bridgewater goes to Lynchburg. Uh, like I said, David, you've been talking to these teams all year. Give me an idea of what the feeling is with, just off the bat with both both Eastern Mennonite and Bridgewater, uh, Eastern Mennonite first, and then the Eagles. Well, thanks, Greg. I mean, let's give our colleague Shane credit. The, the headline before the weekend said, you know, basically Bridgewater EMU looked to make upsets, and, and sure enough, they pulled it off. Um, you know, and, and we've talked about this before. Both programs feel like they can compete on a, on a regular basis. Um, you know, EMU is the number eight seed. Um <laughs> Really a stunning, you know, in baseball, yeah, one game, you never know what can happen. But to, to win two out of three with at Ashland to knock off the national rank, the Yellow Jackets is really impressive. I mean, the other thing I don't know if people realize, EMU came back to Harrisonburg after the two games Saturday, woke up Sunday morning at six or seven, got on the bus, went back to Ashland and pulled off the game three win. So um, first tournament wins for Eastern Midnight in nearly 20 years in the ODAC. Um, that, that lineup, their top three hitters have been really good all year. Uh, Lindsey, Lee, and Jordan, and, and they continue to come through. So really, really impressive uh, for the EMU program. Um, Bridgewater gets a little overshadowed, right? I mean, oh, yeah. number six seed, they knock off number three seed. Um, 
you know, Eastern Mennonite kind of overshadowed them a little bit. But I think talking to both programs this week, they really feel good about the fact that each of them did this and they're another series away from maybe meeting in the, in the title series, which would be pretty amazing. So what a, a good weekend for Shenandoah Valley baseball. No, no doubt about it. David, you, you spoke with Jalon Lee at Eastern, at Eastern Mennonite, their slugger. It wasn't long ago. He was leading division three in home runs a couple of years ago when he was, I believe a sophomore, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was really, he's been really terrific for them all year. Uh, what 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 did he tell you about the the secret recipe to their their success this past weekend? I, I think what I came out of it was they they felt like they had nothing to lose. Um, you know, going down there to Ashland, um, you know, obviously number eight seed. I don't know number eight seed had ever knocked off a number one. Um, they've rarely beaten Randolph Macon at all, and even regular season. So I, I think they felt like they had nothing to lose. Um, you know. Their lineup has been really productive at the top of the order all year. You know, Lee, interesting, Lee is, um, was going to play in a summer semi-pro league this summer and up in Canada, but that unfortunately has fallen through for him because a lot because of COVID. But, um, and, and I'm finding that some players from both programs plan to take advantage of the NCAA rule and come back next year. But, um, boy, um, he, you know, Barrett has really pitched well for EMU. Um you know, they, they've, I think Adam has done a great job with their staff. You know, both, both coaches have. They've done a really good job of mixing and matching, using their bullpens, and um, you almost have to in a three-game series, right? Oh, yeah. I think one of Bridgewater's relievers was named to the Division Three Team of the Week. Is that correct? I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I haven't seen that this morning. But, you know, their reliever um, uh, over the weekend, uh, you know, got a save and a win in, in both games. So, so Ben Spots is using his bullpen really well. He's got a, a lot of good arms. Um, I talked to um, uh, Waring Garber last night, who's said he will be the starting pitcher. So we have some news here on the podcast. Um, Garber from Turner Ashby will start game one um, at Lynchburg on Saturday as of now. Um, don't know who's going to be the starter in the other games, but Garber has led, leads the team in innings pitch with around 45, 44, 45 this year. He only pitched 15 last year, so he's really come on. Um, so, yeah, it should be a great weekend for, for baseball in the ODAC. Yeah, Bridgewater sophomore relief pitcher Hunter Clever was named to the D3Baseball.com National Team of the Week uh, on Tuesday. Uh, mm-hmm. Like you said, David, he earned the victory in game one. Uh, of their sweep over Roanoke and the save in game two, uh, pitching a total of three and two thirds innings uh, without allowing a base hit. So impressive work there by clever uh, to get the Eagles into the semifinals. You need that pitching this time of year. If you don't have it in a tournament, you're done. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you're, you're playing two out of three on a weekend. So you potentially have three games. So obviously you need to have three starters, um, the good thing is you've got six days in between games, so that gives your pitchers some rest. So it's not – it's a little bit different than, say, a typical series where you might play, you know, three or four days in a row in a double elimination, especially we see that at the Division One level. So – and you're familiar with that. But, um, yeah, I think it's a good barometer, uh, I think, to have a best-of-three series. I really like this setup. I don't know about you, but um, I, don't, I don't think they've done it that long, but I like it. Yeah, I, I don't know if they made special accommodations this year to minimize travel because of all the, the coronavirus impacts. But, but in my opinion, when you look at it, 
the, the way they're doing it this year, it, it gives one team a major advantage by being at home, right? Right. The other team having to travel back the next day. Yeah, yeah. Not staying in hotels. Uh, but I do like this format a little better, a little more traditional than the, what would you say, double elimination, round robin style. Uh, it has a little more of a playoff big league feel when you, when you play a best of uh, type of series. Yeah, no, I think it's a really good setup. I mean, classes are done for, for both, pro, both programs. So that's not really an issue. Bridgewater spent a lot of time on videotape last night um, looking at some tendencies. So you have a little bit more time to maybe do some scouting reports. So no, I, th I think it's a really nice setup for division three baseball. Yeah. So Bridgewater, they actually were swept by Lynchburg earlier this year in a double header on May 2nd. So not that long ago, Eastern Mennonite, they did not play well against Shenandoah, lost two to the Hornets earlier this season, both midweek regular season games. So David, I guess I'll ask because if you look at the records for Bridgewater and EMU, Bridgewater 13 and 13 overall, EMU 9 and 13. Is there a a flip that switched is there is there something that went off that that has signaled uh, that they're got they've gotten things going in the right direction what do you think's changed uh well, after one after two huge series wins for, for each program yeah well that's a good point in, in uh wearing garber bridgewater made a really good point in talking to him lynchburg has played 41 games uh bridgewater i believe has played 26 so that that's a big discrepancy um, Shenandoah, I'm I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure Shenandoah has probably played several more games than EMU because like EMU is on COVID pause. So I think you're, you've made a good point. I mean, okay, you're only playing maybe two or three games a week, but it is a routine. You're getting more at bats. You're getting more of a rhythm. So I think that's, that certainly is, is going to help EMU and Bridgewater this weekend, having had the experience from last weekend. Should be interesting, David, and, and uh, big, big time opportunities for, for both Ben Spots and Adam Posey, the coaches uh, at Bridgewater and EMU, respectively, as well as their players, because it's it's been a while since since these teams were involved uh, and in play for an ODAC championship. Yeah, Bridgewater has a great tradition. They've won the most ODAC titles uh, of any program. They've won one in the 70s, 80s, 90s. They've won at least one in every decade. But it's been a couple of years since Bridgewater has won uh, an ODAC title. I think maybe 2014, 2013. Um, EMU has never won an EM, a baseball title in the ODAC. The only time they ever made it to the title game was in 1983 uh, at Lynchburg, and they got beat 20 to nothing. So, um way back when. So I, I think it's, I mean, it's great for both programs. I think obviously for EMU, it, it really stands out a little bit more. Um, I don't know if you saw Adam Posey on the weekend. Um, a lot of alumni were touching base. Eric Kratz uh, congratulated them. So I think it was a, a really big win, not just for the baseball program, I think, but for the athletic program overall. It's, it's been kind of a rough year. They've had a lot of COVID pause. Some of their teams didn't get to finish the season. So um, it's a it's a nice way for them to end the uh, academic year. Yeah, no no question about that. So good for Eastern Mennonite and Bridgewater College on to the next round of the Old Dominion Athletic Conference Tournament. Uh, we'll, we'll stop talking college baseball for a minute and let's get to the high school ranks, David. I spoke with Cody Elliott, our prep writer earlier this morning uh, about what's going on in the high school scene because there are a lot of really good uh, players at that level in the city, county, and really 
all the neighboring districts, the Valley District, Bull Run District, Shenandoah District. So spoke with Cody about it, and, and I'll get to that conversation now. So here's here's my chat with Cody Elliott on the prep baseball scene earlier today. The Baseball in the Valley podcast rolls on, and I'm happy to be joined now by Cody Elliott, prep writer at the Daily News Record. The prep baseball season is underway, and Cody, it's it's been a long time for these kids. They have waited and waited to, to get back on the diamond with their high school teams. I know, I know a lot of them play summer ball and travel ball, but, but there's nothing like the high school team, the high school aspect of it. Just how excited are they to be back with, with, with Turner Ashby, with Spotswood, with Broadway? Yeah, I think that's been the biggest message uh, from the coaches so far. Um, you know, especially those first two weeks of the season, everybody you know, has that message of we're just happy to be here. Um, you know, we've had, we've seen some some pretty high quality baseball and softball around the area so far. Um, I thought last year had a, had the chance to be a special year in terms of all the local talent, especially on the baseball scene. Um, there was a lot of local talent um, that we didn't get a chance to see because of the lost season due to COVID and um, graduation and things like that. But this year, I think what you've seen is. First off, a lot of teams that look a lot different. Um, you know, a lot of these kids that are now seniors and, and standout players for their teams this year were sophomores back when when they were last on the field. And you've got some kids that were eighth graders on JV. They're now sophomores and contributing. So um, it's taken me a while to get used to some of the, these, these new names and uh, some of these guys and girls that are contributing. But um, you are starting to see things fall in place. Um, but also what I've also noticed you're, is you're seeing more um, parity throughout both leagues on softball and baseball. There's not really any dominant team that has stood out so far, and I think that is kind of due to the time away um, when you've you've been gone two years and, and you step back out there. Um, with to open the season, you saw Broadway, a team that we thought was probably the team to beat in the Valley. They get upset by Spotswood on their very first night, and then a couple nights later they're playing TA, who we thought was their biggest opponent and their biggest threat to win the district. So we thought it was going to come down to those two. Then Broadway just blast TA 13, nothing. Now in the past week, TA's beat Spotswood. So there's been a lot of parody, a lot of back and forth. And I think that's kind of how it's going to be all year. I think it's going to be a year where, you know, a, a team that loses two or three t- games in the district could end up winning. And um, again, I think that all goes back to the biggest reasoning is because of just how, how long they've been out of the game. And I think you're going to have those little slip ups and maybe not as, um, clean and, and, and precise as you usually see on a regular season. Are our coaches, in your opinion, still trying to figure out their teams a little bit too? Andrew Armstrong and TA, Marcus Davis at Spotswood. I know those guys are probably used to having more veteran squads who they know really well. Is that part of this too? I'm sure it is. And it's and another aspect of that is, is that you got to think these guys haven't had a lot of time with their players because of the overlap between all the sports. I mean, at most of these schools, these guys and, and girls are playing two, two, three sports. Um, and this year, obviously, we started with the winter season and then right into the fall. And the fall season had just ended about two weeks before the start of the spring. And for some schools, it was right up into the start date. So there really hasn't been much downtime at all. And time that you would usually see in the preseason and the offseason and things like that, that was pretty much taken away um, last summer. And so it a lot of these guys, you know, they, they relied on the travel circuit last year to kind of stay in shape and, and stay in game ready. Um, and, that, and that became such a huge thing. So now they're coming together all of a sudden last minute and trying to come together these on these high school teams. And um, I'm sure that's been a challenge for the for the coaches. And, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of trying to do things on the fly and they don't have a lot of games to work with. They're only playing a 12 game regular season. And 
Um, you know, there's very little wiggle room to mess up. A, a couple of losses could easily knock you out of the postseason this year. So, um, you know, adjusting on the fly and, uh, and trying to get things right is going to be probably the biggest challenge for all the coaches. Yeah, it's, it's so fascinating, too, because it's not like the level of talent is is bad at all. Right. I mean, there's right. there's a ton of future Division One players and, and of course, D, future D2, D3 players on on a bunch of these rosters. Cody, can you kind of just take me through the the upper echelon talent that's going on in the Valley District, the Bull Run, the Shenandoah? Absolutely. I mean, you know, on, in both baseball and softball this year, there are some teams that are loaded with Division One talent. Um, just on the baseball side, you know, you start with Broadway with Bryce Suters, um, the JMU signee. Uh, he, he's an absolute stud in center field. I mean, he's just electric, uh, fun to watch. I mean, you know, he, he's a guy who steals a lot of bases. He, he hits for power. Um, he's all over the field. He has he, he's just an all around athlete. Obviously, he's a great football player in the in the winter for um for Broadway so he's a guy that stands out and they've also got Jacob Petersheim and Noah Hertzler on the mound two guys that are potential college prospects there um along with a couple other guys that are really they're just a really strong overall team with obviously suitors leading the way um I think over in the in the bull run uh the the team that stands out is is Page County once again obviously T.R. Williams missing this season as he continues to battle back from his health problems but his younger brother Lance might be even better um, he's a sophomore this year. He just threw a no hitter last night. Um, he, he's another Virginia Tech commit as well. Um, he, and he is he's the real deal. He's been kind of talked about since he was probably in about sixth grade. Everybody's been waiting on him to come up. And obviously everybody was excited to see him and TR pitch on the same team. I think if they had TR, um, that team's pretty unbeatable at the class two level with those two. But um, Lance by himself has that team um, playing pretty well. And uh, they're off to a three and one, four and one start now. And um, I expect them to go pretty far with with Lance leading the way. Of course, you know, even at Fort Defiance and the Shenandoah, um, they've got several, they've got three Division One guys just on their roster alone um, with Ryan Cook and uh, that's going to JMU and Trisha Shoemaker, who's going to UVA, both leading the way there. So you go across all three districts, there's plenty of talent there. Um, you know, I could go team by team and name several guys that, you know, are, are worth mentioning. There's there's a lot of Division Two talent around the area and then, of course, Division Three as well. Um, there's certainly, I mean, almost any game you go to, you're going to see probably at least two or three kids that are going to probably play at the next level. Um, there's no doubt when it comes in terms of, of boys athletics in this area, baseball is definitely by far, you know, the most has the most college prospects and, and the most chance to be successful. And, uh, even on the girls side with, with softball, I think the, the one team that stands out to me again is Page County. Um, I, I don't see a reason they, they don't have a chance of winning a, a state title there with Taylor Hankins and another JMU. Uh, girl pitching for them and she can also hit for power and then Maddie Gordon the younger sister of Kate Gordon uh, she's a Penn State commit and uh, our signee and she's also there and and those two together are pretty special and they've got again an, uh, like I said about Broadway they've got a lot of players on that team that um, are division two division three type players and then obviously the other the other division one stand out in softball stand, that kind of catches eyes is uh, Lillian Barry at Fort Defiance she recently committed to Oregon State she's only a junior um, but Oregon State's a pretty, pretty high level softball program. And um, I think that one kind of took a lot of people by surprise a little bit. I mean, we knew we knew Lillian Berry was good, but man, Oregon State, that's pretty special. So um, it'll be fun to see what she can do this year. Uh, that's interesting about about Barry Corvallis, Oregon, no, nowhere near 
uh, Fort Defiance High School. Cody, I want to go back to to T.R. Williams because that's that's been a story. Again, Greg Medea here on a Baseball in the Valley podcast with Cody Elliott, prep writer at the DNR. And Cody, T.R. Williams, his story, has it rallied that Page County community? And how's the team handling it there? They're the Panthers themselves handling it. Yeah, I think it did. Like you said, it kind of just rallied the entire community. Of course, it brought the team together. Um, obviously, it's it's a little more special with Lance on the team and, and him kind of, you know, being a part of that immediate family. But um, I think we've seen over the years anyways that that Page community is a very tight-knit community. They, they rally behind those teams. When those teams are good, it doesn't matter what sport it is. The community is there. I mean, it's a big deal over there in Shenandoah. I mean, they're the towns that have the signs up all over the place. I mean – the whole town is out at these games. And um, it, when someone like TR, who was probably one of the better athletes that school's ever seen, um, comes through and, and deals with something like this, I think it really was kind of just a reality check for the whole for the whole town that, you know, this could happen to anybody. And um, it, they've really come together strong. I mean, they were – Wendy Williams, whose son played for several years with, with TR, was providing updates daily on Facebook. I mean – extensive updates from his dad and she was you know reaching out and doing all this work and I mean I forget how many people are on the Facebook group but there there are thousands of people that were just checking this page daily for updates on him and and of course then when he came in came back I guess it was about a month and a half ago and he started rehab since at Elkton um but when he came back I mean he came back to a police escort into town um the, the whole town's at the school just you know celebrating cheering everybody's you know high-fiving exchanging hugs so um, it, it's very clear that TR was, was very loved by the, the page community is very loved. And, um, you know, I think everybody's just cheering for, for him to make a comeback as soon as possible. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about that. And I think I saw on Twitter that you had a picture of him with the Virginia tech coaches who came to visit him. That was a nice touch by them. I thought uh, to go visit their, their signee uh, in, in TR Williams, great picture. Uh, I hope his road to recovery is going well, of course, uh, and, and Cody, as you said, Page County, though, still the favorite there in, in the bull run. If you had to pick a favorite for the Valley and the Shenandoah, who, what, what, what programs are you looking at at this point? Yeah, I think it just comes down to that trio of Broadway, Spotswood, and TA. I mean, they've all exchanged wins over each other. Um, I think Broadway has looked the most consistent over the past week and a half since that win over TA. They've kept rolling. They've now won four in a row. Um, Spotswood started to falter a little bit with losses to Wilson and TA, while TA kind of now put back-to-back impressive wins. They went on the road Saturday and beat Sharando, then they came back and beat Spotswood pretty convincingly the other night. So I think it's going to come down again to Broadway and TA, and and even though Broadway got that 13-0 win um, to open up the season, there was a lot of tensions in that game, and and there was there was some words exchanged, and that rivalry, you know, obviously dates back a long way. So. Um, I think the next time they meet, um, you know, TA is going to have have some some thoughts on on getting some revenge there. And I think, again, you know, it could come down to maybe a, a, a split regular season title with those two. And, and it comes down to tourney play again, which is what happened in 2019, the last time these teams took the field. Um, and so, you know, like I said, that Valley District is wide open, but I, I will not be surprised if, you know, at the end of the year, we're talking about it's Turner Ashby and Broadway once again. No, that that is that is fascinating. What about in the Shenandoah? In the Shenandoah, I think you know, just based off Pure Town alone right now, I've got to go with Fort Defiance. Like I said, you don't get three Division One prospects on on a roster many times at all, especially on a on a 
team in, in that plays in the Shenandoah district. Um, I, I think there are other good teams in that district. You know, Riverheads beat Wilson tonight. They're always a strong team, but at the class one level, um, Store Straps is, is a decent team this year. Um, but I, again, I think for defiance with Tristan Shoemaker and Ryan Cook, um, you know, I just think that's the team that, that really has a chance to make a special run, even, even though they'll, they'll move up to class three, obviously, for the playoffs. That's a team that I think has the talent. Um, if they can just put it together, they haven't been able to put it all together in recent years, but if they can do that, um, I think they can certainly make a long run. Man, that, that class three district with, with Broadway, TA, Fort, uh, some of the schools over the mountain. Holy yeah, cow, that's going to be – that state bracket's going to be a, a bloodbath. Yeah, I mean, and you're talking about Western Albemarle's a good team. Fluvanna's the defending state champion in Class 3. So, they, yeah, and that's – and fortunately, um, Region 3C opted to do 18 postseasons this year, um, while a lot of the state is doing four because of COVID. Re- Region 3C got it approved to do eight, 18 postseasons. So, we'll, we're lucky that we'll still get to see a lot of these teams that are so good. Uh, we won't see anybody get kind of – screwed out of a spot like we did in, in some of the class two districts um, earlier this year in some other sports. So that'll be nice to watch these teams just battle it out and, and kind of, you know, especially at the high school level, watch them work their pitching, pitching rotations and things like that. Cause uh, all you need is this year, you need to be the, the top team. It's not like you, you just need to get to the championship game this year. You have to win the regional championship to get to that state tournament. And so it, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of different kind of things to take into play once those teams reach that point. No doubt, no, that that's going to be fun. I'm excited that you get to cover that. Uh, that you're you're going to have a ball with that uh, as the baseball as the baseball season gets deeper and deeper with with these all these great teams going at it, especially so, with with so many locally uh, here in the city county area. Uh, last one for you. Where's Where's Harrisonburg at at this point? Uh, how, how are the Blue Streaks doing? So Harrisonburg opened up the year with a huge win over um, TA, which was one of TA's two losses. Um, they, they went on a walk-off at Harrisonburg. One of the few times that, you know, Harrisonburg's beat TA in, in recent years. Um, actually, in 2019, they earned their first win in quite some time, and then they, they beat them again this year to open up the season. Um, they've had a couple of tough losses uh, back-to-back since then um, that have kind of set them back down. But they're a team that I always think is dangerous. I, I thought this two years ago, and I think they have a lot of those players back. They were young two years ago with a bunch of freshmen. Those players are now juniors. Um, Evan Burt, one of their pitchers, is an absolute stud, probably one of the better pitchers in the district. So he's going to give them a chance to win almost any night that he's on the mound. I think it's just going to come down to what they can do at the plate, how they can do with their bats. Um, if if they can put it together, they're dangerous. I mean, they can beat anyone in the, in the league on any given night. Um, again, kind of like I said about Ford, it's just a matter of putting it all together and putting it together consistently. Um, they haven't been able to do that yet, but I, but they're a team again. I think that they have a chance to to put together wins and and, and have a solid regular season. And um, like I said, with the Valley being wide open, I mean, we might see them beat a Broadway or a TA or a Spots on any given night. And um, like I said again, repeating myself here, but this is a year where I really do think that you could have a team that has three, possibly even four district losses, be the regular season champion, just because everybody's just kind of beating everybody, and it just it's a matter of who gets the most wins and. Um, it's it's going to be a, a kind of a wild season. It already has been. There's no undefeated team in the district right now. So we, and we're only three games in the, in the dis- district schedule. So it's going to be quite the year. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt about it. Those coaches all know each other well, too. Marcus Davis at Spotswood, Andrew Armstrong at TA, Tim Turner at Broadway, and, and Kevin Teisinger uh, at Harrisonburg. So that, that always adds to it a little bit when the coaches know each other's programs really, really well for battling over the past couple of years. Cody? Uh, appreciate you giving us some time here on a baseball in the Valley podcast and, and getting us up to date on what's going on with the prep scene. 
Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate it. So really appreciate Cody taking time to join the Baseball in the Valley podcast, David. The high school scene is strong, and, and, it, it, and as Cody told me, it should be a, an intriguing, intriguing finish uh, to what happens in the Valley District and in the Class 3 state tournament because you got TA, you got Broadway, you got Spotswood, Fort Defiance, all, all, all could be in play for it. So I found that really fascinating. Yeah, well, you, you talked to the right person. Cody definitely is the person to talk to about high school baseball. I, I, you know, just in reading his stories, you know, all of the division one players that are in the Valley, uh, you know, I, it's probably been a while since there's been that many in one year. So it should be a, a great spring season. Yeah, no, no question about it. I'll get to something else now. I know we, we talked deep three baseball at the top, but I did want to mention the James Madison baseball program is as their season is, is nearing to a, to a finish. Uh, their, their regular season is coming to a close awfully quickly. It's been a weird year for JMU. They've had COVID pauses and COVID issues of their own. They've had stops and starts. They haven't played probably as many games as, as they would have liked to this spring. Uh, but their season is quickly and rapidly coming to a finish, as I mentioned, and they'll play this weekend. They're nine and fourteen overall, and four and eight in the CAA. They'll play a doubleheader uh, this Saturday with William and Mary. Uh, the tribe come to Harrisonburg. It's their first home game in a couple of weeks. Uh, they hosted St. Joe's. It's their first home game against CAA competition, even longer than that. That St. Joe's doubleheader was May second. They haven't played a CAA home series since against the College of Charleston on April 2nd. So it's been a while. And the Dukes, David, they, they to put it put it bluntly, they need some wins. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. And we, we haven't had a chance to look at the standings from a mathematical perspective, but there there's not a lot of margin for error there. If you look at the standings, um, I, I don't know if they have to win out every conference game to get in, but um, I think, uh, as you probably know, and our listeners know, uh, six teams will make the tournament that will be in Wilmington here in a couple of weeks, uh, two from each division. And then I think they're taking two at-large teams. So, um, yeah, they they really need to put together they – re- they really need to sweep William & Mary this weekend probably to have a chance. Yeah, as, as it stands right now, James Madison is in the bottom of the CAA South Division. They're in fifth uh, behind Charleston, UNCW, Elon, and William & Mary. William and Mary is the only other team in the division with a losing record in the league. The tribe are nine and 12 in the conference and 12 and 25 overall. So it's a huge series for JMU. And I think one of the things that have been interesting is uh, they got Showalter back, Justin Showalter, former TA standout, and he's pitched pretty well for them. He took a no hitter deep into his, I think his second outing took a no hitter deep into that game. Uh, and and, uh, and it pitched just overall really well. They've gotten what they expected from him since he's been back. But I think more more puzzling for JMU is, is they just haven't gotten anything consistent out of Nick Stewart, uh, who was supposed to be kind of their, their second ace. Uh, so they haven't really gotten much out of him. And, and then the third spot starter spot has been a couple of different guys all season as they've tried to figure that out. Uh, so, so I think that's really where it starts with JMU. They haven't really gotten the pitching, and it's probably tough when you're not playing as consistently as you would like. Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping to get by there Saturday to to, to catch a little bit of their of their series. Um, yeah, I'm sure it's it's been tough to to find a rhythm. Um, some of their pitchers, as you know, got to play to pitch in the county league last year, and 
you know, you would have thought that that would have helped them since they didn't get to play in the Valley League. Um, you know, I mean, yeah, Showalter has really done really well. And, and there's a lot of people who are talking about him maybe getting drafted, um, which seems reasonable. But, yeah, you're right, Greg. I mean, you've, you've been following them. Um, just just to be honest, some, some players just haven't performed like maybe they should have or were expected to. Um, they've still gotten some good production from the top of the lineup. Um, mm-hmm. But as you know, it, it really comes down to pitching um, at almost every level, and, and that hasn't happened this year. Yeah, you, you look at the ERAs. The team ERA is 5.83. Uh, Stewart, 9.64 ERA. Grayson Jones, uh, 12.27 ERA. Joe Vygotsky, who's pitched a little more frequently than Jones, uh, is at a 10.80 ERA. Uh, so, and you got to remember too, so aside from Stewart, they're pitching a lot of young guys. They're still trying to replace that group that's in the minor leagues now in Kevin Kelly, Shelton Perkins, uh, Nick Robertson, uh, and, and Dan Goggin. So, you know, they're still trying to figure out some things beyond, uh, you know, how to, how, to, how to replace those guys. So I think that's part of the issue too. But uh, at some point, you got to win some games for, for JMU, and that's, that's the situation they're in. So they'll play the doubleheader at William Mary on Saturday, and then they'll finish off the series with a game on Sunday. And then their final regular season games will be played against VCU in Harrisonburg. So uh, the season quickly coming to a close for, for JMU baseball. Uh, David, I guess as I bring up those minor league guys, you, you've talked to some of them uh, recently as the minor league season's gotten started. Uh, what's your early impressions of how they're fitting in in their, in their respective affiliate stops? Yeah, well, I mean, I, you mentioned all four of them, and, and that's a pretty impressive group um, that was drafted in 2019. I, I think you need to be cautious, too. I mean, we've seen so many players and pitchers that have performed well at the single-A level, and, you know, that, that's great. But once you get to double-A is when you really are, are sniffing the majors. But, um, you know, Robertson at Tulsa has done really well. Shelton Perkins is the closer for Delmarva for the Orioles, and um, he's had a couple of saves. So, yeah, they perform really well. Um, you know, it's their first season since 2019. I guess all of them would have probably played – I guess they would have all played short season in 2019, and now all four of them made full season uh, roster spots, which is impressive considering they, they didn't get to play last year. But, no, it's – um. A nice start and credit to Jimmy Jackson, the pitching coach, that he has to feel really good about this quartet. Oh, no, he did a great job. And those guys swear by him, too. Uh, if you ever talk to Robertson or Perkins, they'll tell you he's as good as it gets in the business. So big credit to Jimmy Jackson for, for helping develop uh, those four pitchers who have pro aspirations. Uh, another local with, with pro aspirations <laughs> or Major League Baseball aspirations who you've spoken with, is Brennan Hanafi, the former TA star. Uh, just think about him and Showalter in the same in the same rotation. How, how great that would have been. Wow. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, he's going to make his first minor league start of the year, correct, soon? Well, Greg, uh, as we speak on Thursday afternoon, some breaking news this morning uh, that, that Hanafi has gone on the IL for seven uh-huh. days. Um, so, so Bowie put him on the IL this morning. Um, as, you're, as you said, he was scheduled to start Saturday night in Bowie for his double-A debut. He was supposed to pitch last weekend in Altoona um, in the rotation, and he got bumped and they got rained out. So kind of a frustrating first week or two of the season for Hanafi. 
Um, don't have much more information. I just know he went on the IL Thursday morning. Gotcha. Okay, so there's that. I'm sure we'll learn more uh, in the coming weeks on, on what's going on with Brendan Hannafee. There's been injuries all across baseball, even at the, at the major league level, because of the weird year and, and pandemic-impacted season uh, and, and how, it, how it's affecting players. So uh, it's not totally surprising to hear a pitcher got hurt. Well, we should also throw this out. You know this too, Greg. It, it, you know, sometimes injuries are not injuries, right? So let's hope it's not. Let's let's hope it's not an injury. It could be a it could be a phantom injury. It could be a roster spot. Who knows? But let's let's hope it's nothing serious. Um, let's let's hope after seven days he's he's back and hopefully pitching for Bowie. Uh, agreed, David. I know you're about to venture off to Nats Park here in a few minutes. Uh, what what's going on with the Nationals, David? Oh, where, where to begin, Greg? <laughs> um, they're, they're obviously, it's no surprise. I mean, they're struggling. I think they've lost seven to eight. They, they lost again last night, late in the 10th inning at home to the Phillies. Um, you know, I, I don't know how to put my finger on it. We've probably talked about it before. Um, they, they are an older team. Um, I mean, okay, your left fielder is not hitting and your first baseman's not hitting. So that's right there is a big problem. Um, and I might write about this today. I mean, Josh Bell and Ryan Zimmerman are splitting time at first base. Josh Bell is hitting what, 133? And Zimmerman is hitting 302. Well, Zimmerman, because of his health, Davey Martinez can't play him two days in a row. So that's, that's a problem. Um, Bell hit really well in 2019, not so much in 2020. The Nats were hoping he would come back to 2019 form, and he hasn't yet. I know it's only been a month, but I think a month is a good sample size at this level. Agreed. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. So the Nats, they're sitting at the basement of the NLEs, 13 and 19, uh, behind the Mets, who have won seven in a row and are in first place, Philadelphia, Atlanta, and Miami. So interesting times for Washington. The other team in the area, Baltimore, uh, the O's, I just saw them uh, two against the Mets, and I was not totally impressed with Baltimore other than John Means. <laughs> oh, my goodness. John Means. Wow. What a what a story. Um, he and DeGrom are posting very similar numbers. Um, you know, I actually was just listening to the Baltimore radio station before we got on, and they had on actually D.L. Hall, who's another pitcher in Bowie and, and a really good prospect with them. Um, the, at the major league level, their offense, you know, is, right. is not hitting, just like the Nationals. And, again, Matt Harvey is not part of your future rotation. Um, he has pitched well until the other day. Um, but, you know, I was thinking about this this morning. The Orioles might be at a point where, because of their farm system, and some of their younger players, long-term future, their long-term future might be better than the Nationals. I, I'd agree with that. Even though they didn't hit against the Mets, I, I thought, you know, there, there's some potential there with Mullins and Mountcastle uh, and, and, and Hayes. I, I just think they have a little bit more of a young core, which you need to win in baseball. And if you can get some pitching, it seems like they've got pitching coming, uh, that, that they'll be okay maybe long-term. They, again, I don't, you know, I don't want to drink the Kool-Aid here, but D.L. Hall, Grayson Rodriguez is, is another pitcher to watch at Double A. Those two are really highly. They could be in Baltimore by the end of the year. Um, the, the Nationals don't have pitchers like that at this point that are ready to be called up to the major league. So, 
the long-term future of these two organizations, it might be trending towards Baltimore. Interesting. So uh, that is something to watch play out. I did think Matt Harvey did a good job yesterday as far as embracing the, the New York crowd there at City Field in Flushing. I thought that was, the, it was a nice moment there. Yeah, it was. I actually jumped on Zoom a little bit and listened to him. He's, you know, he, he said he teared up. I mean, he was very appreciative. He said he'll never forget that moment. Um, so kudos to your Mets fans for um, treating him nicely in his return. Um, great memories and great moments that he had there in New York. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. So, David, I'm going to let you run so you can get to Nats Park <laughs> uh, in time for first pitch there and, and, and enjoy the game. Uh, but appreciate you joining me on another edition of the Baseball in the Valley podcast. Thanks, Greg. It's always fun to chat. Yeah, no doubt about it. We'll do one in a couple of weeks here soon as the Valley Baseball League will get started. I'm sure we'll preview uh, the, the the Valley Baseball League and the Rockingham County Baseball League, uh, as a matter of fact. So uh, for David Driver, I'm Greg Medea saying thanks for tuning in.